Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 1091 of the Juice Box Podcast. Today, I welcome back Erica for another episode in our parenting series. And today, Erica and I are going to talk about even more parenting styles. If you'd like to learn more about Erica, she's available to you at ericaforsyth.com. Nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan. If you're not already subscribed or following in your favorite audio app, please take the time now to do that. It really helps the show. And get those automatic downloads set up so you never miss an episode. Don't forget to save 40% off of your entire order at CozyEarth.com. All you have to do is use the offer code JUICEBOX at checkout. That's JUICEBOX at checkout to save 40% at CozyEarth.com. This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by Touched by Type 1 touchedbytype1.org, and find them on Facebook and Instagram. Touched by Type 1 is an organization dedicated to helping people living with type 1 diabetes, and they have so many different programs that are doing just that. Check them out at touchedbytype1.org. Today's episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by the Dexcom G7, which now integrates with the Tandem T-Slim X2 system. Learn more and get started today at Dexcom.com slash Juicebox. Erica, welcome back. How are you? Thank you. It's good to be back. I'm doing well. How are you? Pretty well, actually. Thank you. I'm uh, enjoying making this with you. And uh, as I told you privately, I'm actually listening to it myself, which I hope people don't think is weird. But I listened back to a number of these. I'm thinking to myself, like, wow, these are good. I, I, I had the thought that, like, this could be its own podcast about parenting. So that's a good sign. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Yeah, no, no. It, it's been a pleasure doing it with you. And you've brought so much to it that I, I never could have. So, I mean, I can't thank you enough. Oh, you're welcome. Today, we are going to do more parenting styles. So if you've been listening from the beginning, then you know that episode two, which is really kind of episode one, because the first episode was just us brainstorming what this whole thing would be. The first real like informational episode of this series is called Understanding Parenting Styles. Today, we're going to do a little more on that. And yes, and I want you to kind of tell people why you thought this next bit was important. So I think it's important for us to educate ourselves and understand the theory. I want to focus on attachment theory primarily. Um, because oftentimes we we are raised, you know, starting off as an, a newborn, an infant, there is an attachment style that you as a parent and you as also the infant are exposed to. And oftentimes we are unaware of, of the term. So I think it's helpful just for us to, to educate ourselves and bring us to an awareness of what those styles are. And probably most of us have heard or these before, but also that they can manifest themselves 
as an adult in your in your romantic relationships. And I also wanted to talk about gentle parenting, which you most of you probably have seen on social media has become um, this kind of big movement. I think it's important for us to, to speak to that a little bit as well. Erica, at the end of this hour, am I going to find out why I like feet? I was going to say, but I don't like feet. <laughs> but, but, like, <laughs> but what am I going to what am I going to learn about myself while we're talking? I'm scared. <laughs> yes, maybe. Or why or why feet make you nervous or what? <laughs> okay. All right. Let's get into it. Now I can't wait to find out why what I think is attractive is attractive. This is this yes. is going to be upsetting. It's going to be something about my mom, isn't it? Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Hold on. It, it always is. Uh, it usually is. Yeah. Give me a second. Give me a second to get ready for that in my mind. Um, so so where do we start with attachment parenting and attachment theory? Do we kind of want to go over those? Yes, I think that's great. So attachment, we, you, we probably have all heard the word attachment at some point as a parent. And I think it's really important to distinguish that attachment parenting is different than attachment theory. And so starting with um, attachment parenting, um, this was developed by pediatrician William Sears and registered nurse Martha Sears in the 80s, 1980s. And I know that their book became really popular in the 80s, and they were specifically advocating for this collection of seven practices that they called the baby bees. Shall I list them? Go ahead. Um, so birth bonding, breastfeeding, baby wear, wearing, bedding close to the baby, belief in the baby's cry, balance and boundaries, and beware of baby trainers. Hmm. Some so, of them, some of them jump out at me as being obvious, but I don't think baby wearing means turn the baby into a suit coat. So what, what does all this? What does all this mean? Yes. So this was kind of in response to maybe more of a kind of a strict authoritarian movement of, you know, parents know best in, you know, I'm, I'm stereotyping in the 50s, 60s. Um, and, and then an evolution in the 70s and 80s, there was this response to, no, you need to really be connected to your baby. Literally, you know, physically, any way you can. Um, and so yes, birth bonding, that's, you know, when we, you know, skin to skin, like, mm -hmm. do you want in the hospital, put the baby on, on the mother's chest, breastfeeding, baby wearing, you know, wearing, um, there's a huge growth in um, the, oh my goodness, you know, the slings and the baby carriers, um, bedding close to the baby, you know, having co-sleeping, belief in the baby's cry. If the baby's crying, go meet the need immediately, having balance and boundaries. So also having an understanding that you can't always meet all of the needs, but there really was a strong emphasis on always responding to the baby's cry. Okay. And then beware of baby trainers. To be honest, I'm not exactly sure. There must have been an influx of baby training going on, you know, in home, in-house hiring. Of like baby coaches? Trainers. Like, yeah. Like, oh, okay. Yeah. I think so. William Sears would have, would have come up in the 40s, right? He would have done his formative years through the 40s, 1940s, and he would have been a teen in the 1950s. Yes, yeah. Okay, so, yeah, yeah, so that means that, I mean, it must mean that his theories are rooted in in what he experienced and what he was, took his education and then applied back to himself and said, here's what I think I needed. Is that fair? Like, 
you know? I think that's fair. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And I, and I think I wanted to start with this most recent style because that's what I think people think of in creating a secure attachment. Today's episode of the podcast is sponsored by Dexcom. And I'd like to take this opportunity to tell you a little bit about the continuous glucose monitor that my daughter wears, the Dexcom G7. The Dexcom G7 is small. It is accurate and it is easy to use and wear. Arden has been wearing a Dexcom G7 since almost day one of when they came out, and she's having a fantastic experience with it. We love the G6, but man, is the G7 small. The profile, so much closer to your body. The weight, you can't really feel it. And that's coming from me, and I've worn one. I've worn a G6, I've worn a G7. I found both of the experiences to be lovely, but my gosh, is that G7 tiny. And the accuracy has been fantastic. Arden's A1Cs are right where we expect them to be, and we actually use the Dexcom Clarity app to keep track of those things. That app is built right in to Arden's Dexcom G7 app on her iPhone. Oh, did you not know about that? You can use an iPhone or an Android device to see your Dexcom data. If you have a compatible phone, your Dexcom goes right to the Dexcom app. You don't have to carry the receiver, but if you don't want to use the phone, that's fine. Use the Dexcom receiver. It's up to you. Choice is yours with Dexcom. Dexcom.com slash juicebox. That you have to, you have, you know, you know, breast is best, that whole movement. You have to breastfeed, you have to co-sleep, you have to do skin to skin in order to create a very secure attachment between the baby and the caregiver. Mm -hmm. And what this led to is that guilt-ridden mothers who just could not maintain this type of connection all of the time. Right. And so they had this, you know, everyone's reading their book and thinking, this is what I have to do to be an ideal mother. And then the reality is they're exhausted and the baby's, you know, they're feeling like the baby's needs aren't being met. So they're leading into their own shame. Right. And what research has come out to explain or kind of prove that following the baby bees didn't predict secure attachment. And so that's where, the, and I think we, well, now we can go back to what, what is attachment theory, but that's where I think people are like, wait, I have to do all these things to create the secure attachment, my baby, but I can't do it all. I must be a terrible mother. Okay. Long-term, it didn't prove out to be that completely valuable. Correct. Okay. Correct. And we'll, we'll go into some, some explanations. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, please. I'm, 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 I'm listening to you on this one. So go ahead and yes. keep going. I'll ask okay. questions when I have them. So actual attachment theory was developed by John Bowlby in the 1930s. He was um, a psychoanalyst, psychologist, and he was in England. And then Mary Arnsworth, who was from um, America, she joined him in the 1950s. And together, based on lots of um, observations, scientific you know, research and analysis, they created this attachment theory. And what it basically... But they through kind of observing, they would observe babies and usually mothers or their primary caregivers in in rooms. And they would notice that some of the children's babies' behaviors, they could start kind of categorizing when the mom left the room, would they cry for a little bit and then start playing again? Would they scream and run after or crawl after the mom? Or would they totally ignore the mom? And not and like not even really care. 
And then they would also observe how do the babies respond when the mother re-enters the room? Mm-hmm. Are they are they avoidant? Are they ambivalent? Or do they kind of reach up and say, like, mommy, you know, hug me? So through that, they developed a theory of attachment and basically came up with that secure attachment is formed when the caregivers are responsive um, to the to the baby's needs. They're warm, they're loving, they're emotionally available. And then, and then as a result, babies understand that the caregiver can handle their feelings. They feel secure in knowing that the, the caregiver will be there. And when in a truly formed secure attachment, they also know that they can handle stress. So that if when the mother leaves, the baby responds like, oh, I'm going to miss my mom. I'm going to cry. And I, I'm, I'm verbalizing, obviously, what mostly they saw through their expressions. I'm going to cry a little bit but then I'm going to go back to my own thing and I'm going to start playing. I'm going to be okay. And then when mom comes back, I'm, I'm going to want to reconnect with her. Mm-hmm. And so through all of this research, they learned that, okay, to have a secure attachment between the caregiver and in, in, in the, in the initial research, it was mother and baby, but now they have seen, you know, this is any kind of primary caregiver, it could be grandparent, father, yeah, anything. So in the secure attachment between caregiver and baby, they're really wanting to, through your emotional regulation and attentiveness to the attunement to the baby's needs, you are providing that sense of safety and security. You're helping regulate the baby's emotions, right? So if they're crying, you're meeting their needs, but sometimes it's not like immediate. Mm -hmm. There's always that discussion of like, did you let your baby cry for one minute or five minutes or 10 minutes? So kind of understanding the cries, this is all like through attunement, right? Of Maybe the baby's just fussy or is the baby hungry? Is it tired? And you're also being able to respond to the baby's expressions and validating their expressions and ultimately wanting them to feel secure that my kid, that the caregiver is going to be there for them, but also learning how to handle distress mm-hmm. and then being able to cope with that a little bit. Yeah. That's a lot. Sorry. No, no. I wonder how, I mean, everybody's different and every, and babies are different too. They have personalities. And I mean, I have two kids and Mm -hmm. you could hear cry. There's pain when they cry. There's distress, Mm -hmm. there's anger. Like you can hear all that, you know, as you, as you do it longer. Um, And I'm thinking like, what if it was just three different kids in the room and are they basing, did they basically say like, this is what we see collectively. You're either going to get this reaction, this reaction, or this reaction, not necessarily everyone's going to have this, that, or the other thing. You know what I mean? Like, like, I know you're just doing, they're doing research, right? But, but it was so long ago, like, were they, you know what I mean? Were Were they just like, we saw a thing that no one's ever seen before. It's a rule. Um, or, or does this, or does this play out like in modern time? Do you, can you ask questions of parents and say, oh yeah, this is how I'm seeing the kid. And they're telling me that's how they were raised. Those two things match up. Yes. Sometimes, or in, as an adult will come in and realize as they're starting to parent, they're noticing kind of the tendencies of how they're parenting. And then the remembering of a child, how did they feel? Yeah, the way they they were parented, and I mean, I think attachment theory has become pretty common, and that people will often say, you know, I I was an anxious, I had an anxious attachment, or I was a, a you know, I was an avoidant, and so I think your question of 
is this how every single caregiver and baby interaction is formed? I don't know. I honestly, I couldn't. No, it's a big, that. it's a big question. But, I didn't expect to have yeah. the answer to it. Yeah, you know, I just, <laughs> I'm just interested in in that idea. Like, you know, there are people yeah. come on the podcast all the time. They'll explain these stories from their life, and I'll think, oh, I had that happen to me, and I had the exact opposite reaction to it. That that in itself is fascinating, right? Because now, yes. as the parent, even if you if you, say the first one goes well, you're like, hey, have another baby. And it comes out, you start doing the same stuff. You go, oh, it's it's not working with this one, you you know, because different people, except when they're little babies, they all feel like, you know, like stuffed animals. They're like, oh, it's a baby. You don't think too much of the rest of it until, I guess it can feel like it's too late sometimes, or you're so stuck in what you do that you're like, I don't know what else to do. Either this is how I was raised, or I did it with the last one, I don't know where to go from here, you know, and, and how do you like, how do you see the baby's reaction and give it back what it needs? I guess the one of the B's Mm -hmm. probably is really good advice. The belief in babies cry like that one to me seems like it would apply bigger to parenting, like believe, believe them. You know what I mean? If they say they're mad, they're mad, that kind of stuff. Right. Yes. And that's where the research and um, I, some of this information, there's, there's just great, if you're really interested in this, you know, you could Google attachment theory and learn a lot about it. One article that I thought was really great in explaining some of the differences was from greatergood.berkeley.edu. And it's why attachment parenting is, is different or not the same as secure attachment. And you're right about believe the baby's cry. So having that emotional attunement and responsiveness and validating that they're feeling you're taking their feelings seriously Mm -hmm. right that's it's all about the validation but the difference can be seen or noted that sometimes what they saw with people who were following the attachment parenting is like you're you're overdoing it and having to you're trying to meet the child's every need every request sure and that can be exhausting and that's when it's also counterproductive because I love this quote that they said, in contrast, research on secure attachments shows that in the flow of everyday life, misattunements happen about 70% of the time. And misattunements meaning that maybe the caregiver doesn't respond to the cry immediately because you're having to do something else, or maybe you're trying to feed the baby and he's actually tired. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot more grace and and validation in like having that secure attachment that 70% of the time you're kind of missing the mark. Yeah. And I think that's really something to note because with the secure attachment, the baby learns that not only the baby, um, that the caregiver is going to be there and take the feelings seriously and listen to the baby's cries. Um, But there's also going to be that mismatch missing kind of the mark. And then there's the repair that we talked about, even as you know, your child's older, you can, you can repair that and say, oops, I, you guys, you are hungry. You weren't tired or vice versa. Right. We can forget what happened just now. I'll give you a new, better experience. And and we'll keep moving like that because you're never, because yeah, because three out of, looks like three out of 10 times you're, oh, remember we talked about that too. Even that pops up again here. 70. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. We, I hope everybody listened all the way through. So they know what I'm talking about, but oh, that's really interesting. Listen, I think that it makes total sense for the baby to come out and spend time with the mom if it can after birth. That just, that, I mean, just common sense wise, there's, I mean, a lot has happened to both of you in the last couple of minutes. It'd be nice to just <laughs> chill out for a minute and, 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 right. and meet each other, right? Totally makes sense to me. 
breastfeeding, I mean, there was a couple of decades there while everybody was like formula feeding their kids, right? Mm -hmm. Like breastfeeding was like a hippie idea, like for a while, which is odd. Isn't it odd how we were able to like take something so natural and make it like weird, you know, like, no, no, buy this. And now, by the way, Mm -hmm. now it's hard to find formula since since COVID and and you hear people going, oh, just breastfeed. It's a great way to do it. You're like, yeah, nobody knows what they're talking about is all I think every time I hear something, you know, we make these rules up. Even this, this, you know, William Sears and and his his work, right? Mm -hmm. He's probably just first in a modern era to think about that. That that's yeah, it's really it. I mean, prior to that, people were churning out babies like livestock because they didn't even think they were going to live, and they're just trying to get a couple to like, you know what I mean, to go the distance even. And I bet you that's part of where that parenting style comes from too. Like, how am I going to get so attached to this kid if he's going to get rubella when he's four and 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 I got to put him in the ground? You, you know what I mean? Like, and yes. and I live in a box and we're we never know if we're going to make it through the winter. And like, like I don't know how are you that that's got to be. For your own personal, I would think, right? Like, oh, yeah. So when life's harder, we become more modernized. Life's harder. You can't be that attached to your kids because what if they, what if you lose them? And then we get more and more modern. Life gets safer and safer. People live longer. There's not as much infant mortality. That all happens. But we're still wired to be like, eh, what if that thing dies? I don't want to love it too much. And then this guy comes along and drags us into more modern thinking about being human to our own children. That's really interesting. And then he tries to come up with the best way he can to write a book that people will buy so that he can get people to pay attention to this thing. And he yeah, that's a, great, that's, a, yeah. that's a great synopsis yeah. of, of childbearing. I think, yeah, with, with the breastfeeding example, the one of the things I think as, as you know, the breast is best movement came about, I remember even hearing that in when I delivered my children in, you know, 2015. Mm-hmm. And I think what, what's secu- what the difference of between secure attachment and then the parenting attachment parenting is that either can provide a secure attachment, breastfeeding or bottle feeding, right? Cause you can, you can put your baby onto the breast and be very methodical and be doing other things. And you're, that's not like that warm connection. Right. In the same way, you can coddle and love and make eye contact with your baby while feeding them the bottle. And that is just as connecting mm-hmm. and forming that secure attachment as breastfeeding. And I think that were that place that was misunderstood for a long time. Yeah. No, I just I mean, if you really look at this and and translate it into modern times. Right. We're doing this right now, by the way. We're doing what William Sears did right now, but we're recording it and it's available for people very quickly and they hear it instead of have to read it. It's you have a thought, I have a thought, we're sharing it with somebody. That's what he did, right? But back then, once he did it, they didn't need to do it again because there was a book. They could sell it. It was done already. That's how they think of it. Now you're uh-huh. just constantly pushing people's ideas out in the world. And then the, you know, then people get to listen and decide for themselves. This makes sense to me. I think that technology is going to move us away from this idea that these are the rules. And then that'll be freeing to people in a generation or two that they don't have to say, oh, you know what? I didn't breastfeed. I'm a bad mom. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Like, like, because it's not a rule anymore, a rule with, I'm making quotes, you know, right. 
not that you wouldn't want to if you could. I'm not saying don't breastfeed. I'm not saying any of this. Like, I mean, again, baby wearing. I don't understand what that is. Do you know what that is? That's so. That's with like the slings or oh. the wrap or like the the moji moji yeah, wraps or that. like the baby carriers. <laughs> I don't want. I, I don't want the kid to love me. That no, I'm just kidding. I'm not like I, that's not a thing we ever did, right? I think the baby Bjorn was getting popular as my kids were maybe getting a little older. Bedding close to the baby, we did that with both of our kids when they were newborns. They in a bassinet near the bed. Right. You know that. I mean, for your own sanity, maybe as much as for them to feel close, but also. Isn't that another, I know I, when I say common sense, sometimes people get upset with me, but isn't it a common sense thing not to take a three-day-old baby into another room and plop it down and be like, good luck? You, you know, like, I don't know, like, it felt weird to me for the kid to be that, not that close to us until you were comfortable that, Jesus, they could roll over if they got in trouble or, you know what I mean? Like anything like that, really. Well, and and then the critic would say, though, betting close to the baby is that then also co-sleeping where the risk could be that you roll on to the baby or you do you let the, the baby sleep with you until you're eight? And there's, you know, obviously everyone has a viewpoint on that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we, so what what I think the critics now say, well, that doesn't, that's not gonna form because it says attachment parenting, that's not gonna form the secure attachment. These are there aren't these like quick twit twit uh, tricks. So that's my point. And by the way, when Mm -hmm. you say critics, here's what I think. People who also want to put their opinion out on the internet, but need an alternate perspective because the thing that they're (laughs) arguing with has already been done enough that they can't get into the space. Uh, Like that's, that's what I hear when you say that, but (laughs) but I'll tell you what, listen, I agree. I mean, it can't go on forever, right? Like it's, there's gotta be a, like a cutoff point. I'll tell you when we stopped doing it. So I used to, we used to be very, very broke. And when we were young, and Kelly had to get on a train every day to go to, to work, but we could not afford to pay for the parking permit at the train station. As I look back now, I believe it was $60 a month. And we were like, it, it sounded like somebody said, we need a million dollars for you to park your car here because we, yes. we couldn't come up with it. So I would get up every morning at like five o'clock and put Cole in a carrier and drive Kelly to the train station. And then I'd come back and most days we'd start our life, you know, get going. But there was this one day I was freaking exhausted, like really. And I was like, I have to sleep. I have to get a little more sleep. And I thought, okay, like he looks tired still. And I brought him in into our bed and I made like a little pillow fort around him. So I couldn't roll right on him. And I thought Mm -hmm. I had it all set up and I'm asleep. And I, I still to this day can't explain what happened, but in my sleep, I felt him rolling out of the bed. And I, I was on my back and I flung myself towards him, reaching with my arm over the, over the mattress. And I got his onesie as he was falling to the ground and pulled him back up like a slinky. Oh my God. It was insane. (laughs) Okay. Like a crane very gently brought him back over the bed, set him (laughs) down. And then I went from exhausted and asleep to like, "Ah!" I was like, I was like jacked up with adrenaline. Right. I was like, oh, hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. And he doesn't even, I can't even know. You know what I mean? Like, he's just looking at me like, yeah, what's up, man? And so I get, I'm like, it's going to be fine. I almost killed you. And and then I said to my wife, hey, maybe I shouldn't be doing this anymore. (laughs) Like, because I, if, if I was going to fall back asleep, he needed to be somewhere secure, not, Mm -hmm. not just with me. And and then we let it go. He was maybe, I don't know, nine months old when we stopped doing that, you know, and he didn't sleep with us, sleep with us overnight. 
But there were times that, and it was always around exhaustion. If he was cranky or sick, then we'd bring him with us because we were like, I can't keep getting up and down like this, you know? Survival. Yeah, please. (laughs) And by the way, if we lived in a teepee, we'd all be on the floor next to each other anyway. So I I don't know. (laughs) know, And then now they have very cool contraptions that uh, I forget what it's called. It was just getting popular when we were kind of out of that phase, the um, Docatot. I feel like but you're making the, that up. Docatot? No, I, I think it's I, I think it's docatot. You have to Google it. Where you know they're in your bed. It's like a bassinet, but in your bed. But then it has like a like a no. Uh, it's docatot. Yeah, you found it. Yeah, docatot. Yeah. So they do have they have cool you know little yeah like little stuff yeah oh please there's no shortage of things that will take your money while you're having a baby so <laughs> by the way you will give away most of them still in the packaging after the baby's uh grown up <laughs> <laughs> you'll have like three things you're like i can't live without these the rest of the stuff i do not care about uh, yes so okay well that's i mean okay so like where does that leave us like if i'm if somebody did the bees with me or if somebody you know jumped forward and did balby's stuff and and work like where do I end up as a person? Like, how do I look at myself as an adult and look back about how I was raised? Because that's the only way we're going to be able to tell people who are raising kids now, like, this is your goal and this may be what's going to get you to that. Yes. So, um, what what is interesting with the secure attachment theory that I don't have an, an exact name to give you, but they've done more research to identify that. Typically, the way that your attachment was formed with your caregiver, you then kind of live that out and project that onto your romantic partner. So most often, we we kind of expect or think or hope that our romantic pe- partners um, or live out will act the way our caregivers did. So if you were raised with a secure attachment from your caregiver, knowing that your needs were validated, your needs were met, your emotions were validated. Mm -hmm. You also had some space to experience some stress and then implement some coping skills. You were, you then kind of project that obviously be the healthiest romantic relationship, right? Like where you, your needs are met. You also have, you're not like constantly on each other or needing that. Right. each other. So that would be the secure attachment in adults. There's the avoidant attachment, which you might be, you might hear like the anxious avoidant experience in children. And that we can't totally align with, you know, the the four parenting styles we we spoke about in the um, first episode, that this might be similar to kind of the uninvolved or neglectful parent, someone who might be you, maybe you were raised as a child, as an infant, where the child, the parent is um, either really doesn't care or is, or is just really busy and mm-hmm. stressed. And so you might have this um, anxious avoidant attachment style. And then that might also, you project that into your romantic relationship. So if, if a parent was dis- dismissive of you for any number of reasons, then you're going to have that feeling like someone's going to avoid you as an adult. And that yes. gives you anxiety when you're in that relationship. You're like, oh, no, they're going to do this thing to me. Yes. Okay. Yes. The third style is, so as a child, anxious, ambivalent in children, this could be, you could kind of equate this to the permissive parenting style, which is pretty inconsistent. And so as an adult in your relationship with the, if you're in an anxious uh, attachment style, you might have a real significant fear of abandonment in the relationship and 
not necessarily, you're not really secure in that, in that space mm-hmm. with your partner. The last one that we can go back and like, yeah, rehash these Yeah, please. is fearful avoidant in children. That would be the attachment style as a, as a child. And then you would, we would categorize this as disorganized um, attachment style as an adult. We could maybe compare this to authoritarian parenting style, but it's actually even, it would be more equated to if you were, um, there was a lot of trauma or abuse and you had real fear okay. of your, of your caregiver. All right. So yeah, let's go back through them. So, okay. so yeah. avoidant, which is similar to uninvolved would be if a parent maybe was dismissive of you and then it would give you that anxious avoidance in your, in the child. Right. So like some examples would be if the, as, as a child, the caregiver um, kind of left you to fend for yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, They really, they expected you to be independent in ways that maybe weren't developmentally appropriate. And then maybe if you, if you needed them, you were either reprimanded or rejected. And so that that would so it kind of would look like as a child. Yeah, yeah, but then what does that translate to as me as a partner for somebody as an adult? So maybe you're avoiding emotional intimacy or physical intimacy. You probably have maybe you have a real strong sense of independence because that's how you learned how to cope and survive. You might not be comfortable expressing your feelings because if you did as a child, you were either reprimanded or ignored. You might have a hard time trusting people. Or, or feel threatened. Like if anyone does try to, uh, this goes back to kind of avoiding the emotional, physical intimacy. If you're feeling like, ah, oh, this person's trying to get close to me. And, and then you might want to spend more time alone. Okay. And don't really feel like you need other people because you never learned how to, how to do that. Yeah. And by the way, you could end up being this person and this not be the parenting style that you were. I mean, like there's other ways to get to this stuff too. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Right. Okay. All right, give me the next one. So similar to permissive, anxious, preoccupied, anxious, ambivalent in children. So there's anxious avoidant and anxious ambivalent. Yes. Okay. So that first one we just did was anxious. Avoidant. Avoidant. Right. And the second one, anxious avoidant. Ambivalent. Excuse me. Thank Mm -hmm. you. Sure. (laughs) You have... Kind of well, I guess as a as a child, you were. Let me see the best, the easiest way to do this without getting um, your parent. Maybe you were there. They kind of alternated between like overly in your space and like overly coddling and overly meeting your needs, or were totally um, kind of detached and and indifferent. This could go back and forth from them. Yes. Oh, so there are yes. parents who are like all in or all out. Yes. Yeah. Okay. All right. So maybe they're really kind of attentive and then and then the next day they push you away. And this could be fright for so many reasons. Like this is not Sure. No, no, it's not it's not like it's not a it's not a, a condemnation of anybody. Like you might maybe on the weekends you're real intense and then Monday through Friday you're like, I'm busy, I'm working. That kind of thing. Yes. Right. Yes. Okay. Um also the without and this is all maybe subconsciously the parent the caregiver maybe made the child feel responsible for how the parent felt and so that the child might often grow up thinking okay i need to take care of other people's feelings and can lead to kind of some codependence okay so it, as an adult if you're noticing in your relationships that maybe you're you're leaning towards kind of clingy tend- tendencies mm-hmm. or maybe an, an jealous 
of other people or other relationships. You might have difficulty being alone, typically like low self-esteem, feeling unworthy of of things like particularly unworthy of love. Right. Definite fear of rejection, significant fear of abandonment, right? Like whatever you do, please don't leave me. And that comes from that inconsistent. I'm here, I'm meeting your needs. And the next day being right, totally indifferent as a parent, right? So that is from being jerked around is what it is. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and 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 you know, what's funny. I'm sorry, Eric. We we talked so much through this about just being consistent and stable that that really is just a, a bedrock of parenting. Like it, it almost doesn't matter which one you are as long as you're consistent about it. Like so that a kid can like can say, or at least I know this what this is what this is, right? And and showing love, no matter the situation. If you're a hard worker Monday through Friday and you can't pull yourself away, but but you can still communicate stability. I'll be home at five o'clock. We're definitely going to do this together. I love you. Like that kind of stuff. You're, I, I think that's, it sounds to me like that's still a, a, um, a repairable variable to parenting. Like you talked about earlier. Yes. Like you can still get ahead of that. It, it's, but people don't know this is what they're doing. Right. Because right. You'll just like make an excuse. Like I got to work hard because I got to make money. And, and that's that or whatever else. And I guess too, if you're, if you're parented this way, it leads to you doing this in your relationship. You're going to do it to your kid too, once you're a parent then. And so then it just kind of keeps, isn't it interesting too, that uh-huh. we, none of us do this while we're courting and dating, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, it's an easy joke to say uh-huh. like, oh, you'll meet me after you, know, you can't get away. We know enough not to show it to people when we want them to like us. That's fascinating to me. Like it really is. Like because I don't think it's that diabolical when people do it. I don't think they think, no. "Oh, this is weird part of my personality. I'm going to keep it to myself." People know how to act. They just have to do it on purpose. And well, that takes. Yeah. So it can take a lot of work. You know? yeah, 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 yeah. Maybe it's not sustainable. But do you think they're just yeah. acting? Like I mean, there's got to be people who got married and like I was sold a bill of goods. Like this is not. This ain't who you are. You know what I mean? Anymore. That happens all the time, right? Sure, yeah. sure. But that also could be a result of, you know, so many external variables too. Oh, yeah. No, please. Right. Yeah. I'm yeah. not saying that there's only one way to get to this. There's so many ways to get <laughs> to are. an unhappy, unpleasant life. <laughs> yes. And and there's so many ways to to evolve out of that. And, and to get out of it. Exactly. Yeah. Too. And, and, and again, over and over again, the answer is see it, recognize it, do something about it start over again not instead mm-hmm. of just like it's too late or it's not going to work out for me or whatever are, are any of these parents you know let me let me get let you get to the last one to okay. um to fearful avoidance and i'll ask my other question okay and and i think before we go to the last one too as you're hearing these kind of summaries or signs just to, to remind you that the, there is hope that the, none of these attachment styles are even though they they feel fixed there, there can be growth to kind of undo these, you know, particularly through, you know, deep therapy work of reparenting. If you have trauma like this next one, well, you know, you can do, I highly recommend EMDR, you know, to help kind of reparent yourself mm-hmm. and reform, format your attachment style. And so this last one, the disorganized attachment style, they might seem, this is really kind of based on trauma, neglect, abuse. 
and just kind of fear of fear of their parents, fear of like their just kind of general safety is pretty present in this uh, childhood attachment. Mm. Signs as an adult that you might have a disorganized attachment styles, you know, definitely fear of rejection. Pretty, you have a, a difficulty with regulating your emotions. Pretty contradictory behaviors because you haven't really, you don't really know how to like ground yourself and regulate yourself. High levels of anxiety, difficulty trusting people, which would make a lot of sense. All of these things, um, and and as well as signs of the other two styles that we just talked about: the avoidant and the anxious attachment styles. Um, and also, we see a little bit. We see more mood problems with this type of style, which would also make a lot of sense. Am I more screwed if I meet another person who has the same style as me and I'm in a relationship? Is that that because at least if you have a different one, like I think of my wife and I as having broken each other like wild horses. Like, you know what I mean? Like, because we Uh were young when we met and my wife and I went to therapy like when we were young and married. And I guarantee you that if I found the therapist right now and I was like, hey, we're still married, he'd be like, get the fuck out of here, really? (laughs) (laughs) He'd be like, oh, I lost 50 bucks with a guy. I got to go pay him. Like, you know, like, like, but, but I think we had enough, if I, if I can break us down a little bit, I think we had enough intellectual prowess to see what we were doing and to work our way through it. But if I were to look at these three parenting styles, I would say I clearly fit I think I think I fit in a disorganized as a parenting style. My dad was kind of abusive. My mom didn't stick up for me when that happened, although I felt very loved by my mom. So I probably have a little bit of 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 the avoidant, more of the disorganized. Like I'm probably a blend right in there a little uh-huh. bit of that, right? I don't have any anxiety from it for some reason. Although I would describe myself, and this was one of the other questions I wanted to ask you, like because I'm adopted. I did have, I'm adopted and from a family of divorce. I definitely had that like, oh God, nobody go anywhere feeling like, like, mm-hmm. and I, and I, fear I've, of abandonment. and I've said it on here before mm-hmm. until I got older and like figured out that you couldn't do that. If there was a problem between people, even in my family of the four of us, I had this horrible feeling that if we didn't fix it right now, their doom was on its way. Like we couldn't argue without finishing it and and coming to a resolution because i would get like this feeling of like oh god this is it it's all over yes. yeah you know like someone's gonna leave like, it, like that's how it felt to me i don't feel that way anymore but i got there because my wife who was probably raised like you know being a vo- like nobody really connecting with her emotionally or even intellectually plus she was in her family the kid who was getting good grades so they didn't even feel like they had to help her with school Mm. You know, like so she was kind of on her own, a little bit of a misfit as far as the the family organization when she didn't quite fit in with the rest of them. So I feel like she took a little bit of that parental abuse that she received and she found a way to artfully and purposefully use it on me to drag me out of that disorganized state I was in. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Yes. And then I was able to use the kind of more like artistic part of how I think about life. And I mean, you guys know how I feel. You hear me talking all the time, like that whole thing. And she was stuck in a very kind of like Catholic rules and regulations. We're not so, yeah, we're not real nice to each other. We don't show too much love. Even if I'll tell you the one thing I can't like, that's took her the longest time to get away from was her parents would only say something nice about her through a proxy. So she didn't know that her dad was impressed by her. 
she'd talk to her father's friend who said, oh, your dad told me this story about this thing you did, but he would never say it to her directly, right? And so I'm kind of trying to, I've been trying to bring her into that more like loving, caring, like feeling that she didn't have that. Validating. Yeah, that I actually did have growing up. And maybe I had it for my mom or maybe, maybe I developed it for my brothers and knew like, I'm not clear on that in my life. If it all came from my mom or if I saw how much my brothers needed somebody and I kind of became that thing for them. But anyway, I was able to give that to her. And that's Mm -hmm. difficult too to drag a person out of that kind of like, I don't want to just call it cold, but it is. It's like kind of a more cold state. And Mm -hmm. like to bring them out of it is tough. Like there's still times if I hug my wife, she'll get uncomfortable after a while. I've known her for 27 years and she gets a little like, don't be too nice to me feeling. You you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? If she ever hears this, she's going to be mortified. But just, you know, it's true. Just let it go. Um, So, (laughs) (laughs) and I was a mess. I'm not saying I wasn't. But, But if two people get, like I often interview somebody. I just interviewed this kid the other day. He's bipolar. He's medicated now. He's doing pretty well, but he's dating a person who's also struggling with mental health issues. And I, part of me thinks, well, that makes sense because who's going to understand them better. But then I thought, well, who the hell's going to save them? Like, you know what I mean? Like there's no one there to, to know the other side of this. Am I onto something with that by any chance? Well, I think, yes, I think where you can be attracted to someone either in the opposite <laughs> attachment style, or oftentimes you see like if you're in the codependent place, right? You're mm-hmm. gonna be in that where you could be in that naturally in a relationship with someone who's equally as codependent and you kind of feed each other in that. So it can be unhealthy in a way. I think that the the way that you and and Kelly were able to work on yourselves and then how you interacted with each other is, is remarkable. And whether that was, you know, you had the awareness and then you also sought help um, to have that like objective observer. Um, and then you had the motivation to do that or the, and the intent. And she was also uh, really great about it and intent on it. Like she definitely saved mm-hmm. me before I was able to like the things she gave me, she gave me before I was able to complete the things I was able to give her. Like, I don't know if that makes sense or not. Yes. Uh, yeah. And I yes. think that's because as a a female, I think she was more emotionally mature when we were younger than I was. I mean, I honestly think that's part of it. And probably a little bit of that, like Catholic Irish, like I'm not getting divorced. We're fixing this. Like, like mm-hmm. that kind of thing too. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like is mm-hmm. helpful, a little stick to and not wanting to bail right away. But so <laughs> I just, you know, the thing that just popped in my head, I don't know how reasonable it is to say out loud, but if I treat my daughter one way, she ends up with a bad guy. If I treat her another way, she's got a better chance of not. She won't gravitate towards people who are like more chaotic and likely to hurt her and stuff like that. Just talking about it from this perspective first. But which is that? Like, what do I want to give her so that she doesn't end up on a motorcycle in Arizona smoking meth? <laughs> Oh, well, love and uh-huh. attention. And I think this, the authority, going back to the, you know, the authoritative parenting style, right? Mm-hmm. Like having her, she knows how to, she knows that she can trust her caregiver to meet her needs, but also isn't so dependent on it, right? Like there's this balance of I can meet my own needs, but I also am comfortable and confident in asking for my needs to be met. Okay. And I know that I want somebody who will validate my feelings and not dismiss them mm-hmm. and won't yet won't ignore them 
And if I'm a big scumbag as a dad, everything's a party and I'm not really giving those things, then she's going to look for someone like me to get the approval of someone romantically that she couldn't have gotten parentally. I mean, in a, in a, yes, as it, not crazy, stereotype. right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. All right. I know that everything's not exact, but that can happen. I don't know how many people you got to talk to before you hear the same story over and over again and think there's probably not a lot of different stories under the sun. You know what I mean? So, so same thing with a boy. Like, how do I nurture a boy so that they're kind, but not a pushover, and and so that they're masculine in a way that they're going to need without being an asshole. Like that's to me seems like the balancing act for raising a son. Like, how are you going to make them a man without making them a dick? And how, you know what I mean? Or, or making them somebody who just, you know, is so overly concerned with how they come off and if they're being polite, I know this doesn't sound politically correct. I don't even care. Um, but like, yeah. you know, like, you know what I mean? Like, like it just, like, that's what you're trying to do, right? You're like, you're trying to raise a boy that they can take care of himself and, and hopefully lead, you know, take care of other people and without them overindulging that that kind of male ego thing and without underindulging it. And then the same for a girl. You're trying to you're trying to create a person who can lead a group and take care of their family without being, you know, I don't know what, what would be the the correlation there without I don't know, being a princess or like whatever and you know, and you know, not having any I don't know, whatever that brings along, or without going the other way and being an absolute like push over again and just doing what another person tells them to do. I mean, like we can all pretend that things are different, but those are, those are pretty much your worries for your daughter and your son when they're going out the door. You know what I mean? So I don't want some guy shitting on my daughter and treating her terribly. I want her to be able to stick up for herself and understand who she is and be able to lead her own life and make her own decisions. I also don't want her to be like some like ice princess who like, you know, nobody can connect with. And yeah, I think I got it all out. That's what I mean. That's what you want. None, that's of, that's, you want. none yeah. of that's getting edited. That's exactly what I mean. Okay. I don't want my son to be an asshole and I don't want to be a pushover. And I don't want my daughter to be an ice princess. And I don't want her to get taken advantage of. Those were the things I was thinking of when I was raising my kids. So I don't well, know. If in general, yeah. it's you, it sounds like you wanted and, you know, developed and nurtured secure, confident individuals, right? Like, I mean, and I hear, I hear your, you know, kind of the, the differences a little bit in the gender expectations. But I think what I hear above all of that is secure, confident, compassionate individuals yeah. who can can be confident and communicate their needs. They can also be compassionate and validate others. Without going too far in either direction. Like right without and by the way, I don't know Arden's still not done. I don't know how well we did with her like not being so assertive that it could be off-putting to some people. Like, and I don't know that it matters. It only needs to not be off-putting to one person, right? So like, like, I'm not saying you have to bend to some like social conformity, but I'm not sure yet because she's still a little young and she's very confident. And when she expresses that confidence, it can it comes off. I mean, people have heard her on here. She's she's a, a, not aggressive. Well, maybe she's aggressive. I don't know what the sort answer. Of. Yeah, she's yeah. I don't know of. what the, I don't know what the word. I think I'm aggressive. So like, I don't know what the, I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, like, you know, you and I are going to get into a conversation. I am going to say what I want to say, and that's going to be the end of it. And I think, and if I also want to hear what you're going to say, but I'm not going to apologize for how I feel or condemn you for how you feel. I think I'm getting there with, I think she's getting to that. She's just not quite done yet. 
if that makes, I hope she never hears this. She's a wonderful person. She's just not quite, she's not as mature as she's going to be one day. Mm-hmm. You, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, I don't know what I'm saying. You, you okay. didn't interrupt well, me. I think yeah. you're, you're, I mean, you're going to, you know, I even thinking about, you know, our communication dialogues around like aggressive versus assertive communication, mm-hmm. being assertive oftentimes can be perceived as not feminine air quotes right. and assertive is identifying how you're feeling while holding the other person's opinion, you know, holding it literally. Like I recognize you might have a different opinion, but this is how I feel what you just said. Right. And I think going back to our parenting styles and secure attachments and your question in the beginning, you can raise your children with a secure attachment but they also have different personalities. Mm-hmm. And so that doesn't mean that they aren't securely attached or they aren't formed or developed in the way that like is ideal. But because you see, you know, she has a different personality. And then, but I also hear you that, you know, there's still that growth that you're um, right. hoping for. But but Erica, like the, the real question that everybody is wondering is, how do I raise a kid who doesn't end up in a bar on Coke? And it's the secure, it's authoritative secure, right? Like that's the way to go. Yes. Yeah. And modeling, you know, modeling as we've talked about over and over and attending and meeting their needs and then apologizing because we're not perfect, Mm -hmm. right? Repairing. And are you going to have any, like, like, let's say a person who's like a hot mess themselves somehow pulls it together to be a a great parent is still not going to help completely though. Right. Because like the, it's still the modeling is incredibly important. It's what you're showing them is in the end, what they're going to think is real. Like do as I say, not as I do is going to come into play. I would imagine as the kid gets older. Yes. So, so if you're saying if you had an um, insecure, there's like the secure attachment and the other three insecure attachments. So you're saying if you, if you were raised with an insecure attachment, but somehow you kind of pulled yourself together as a parent and said the right things, but didn't do the right things. Like, like oh, I'm saying uh-huh. from a parenting situation, if I was saying yeah. the right thing, but not doing it, is my kid not still going to be like, eh, he said that, but I see what he's doing. He's doing, or do you, or, it's still better than nothing. I would imagine, but you know, a perfect situation is going to be you being, you know, a role model. Right. And yes, like, and like really yeah. being it, not just pretending to be it. Cause they sniff through that in three seconds. Like your bullshit isn't going to like cover, you know, you can't cover your bullshit with perfume in this one. That's for sure. You know, like kids are yes. going to figure that out in two seconds. <laughs> and so, all right, everyone go to therapy. That's what I heard Erica yeah. say. That's <laughs> well, what I heard her I, say. Yes, it, can, it, can, <laughs> it can help for sure. And I think there, there is just, there's always hope, you know, for, for healing and, and opportunity to be compassionate. No, I, I believe, yourself. I really believe that too. Like you have to want to, and you have to know enough to, to work towards it and everything. But I, I, I can't tell you how, how much I believe in the idea and how much after recording with people over and over and over again, I'm telling you this stuff nine times out of 10 is going to work out just like this. Like there's, there are not a lot of, there are not a lot of people running around, you know, uh, the CEO of a small Fortune 500 company whose dad grew up doing coke in front of them in the living room. It just didn't work. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. And um, I just talked to this kid the other day. And like I was saying earlier, he's in my head now because, you know, he's got mental health issues, a lot of anxiety, had some suicidal ideation. I said, what was it like growing up? Well, my dad did meth and coke. 
Like, blah. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, that's how I even said that. I'm like, what chance did you even have? And he laughed and he's like, not much. And I was like, yeah, right. Like he's so bright and he understands and he knows. And still this all happened to him because somebody else put him in that situation. I don't know. It's, it's upsetting to be honest. Your last little bit here, you have gentle parenting. Yes. So I think just like, you know, in the 1950s, the secure or the attachment theory was developed. And then the 1980s Sears and Sears came out with the baby bees and now more recently, you probably are hearing about gentle parenting. And in general, as you know, some critics <laughs> suggest that this movement isn't is not based on scholarship or research or science, but it's more of kind of an approach or mindset. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's important to to re- to remember that that it is something that is it's in this movement that's grown ma- mainly on social media. And I'm not trying to belittle or or dismiss it because I think there's some really great tenets to it. Right. And in general, when you when people have done some, you know, anecdotal research online, when they ask what is gentle parenting, they usually say it's quote, staying calm in challenging moments with their kids and validating their kids' big feelings. This is from the conversation.com. Okay. And so we're like, we yes, we have heard that. We have just talked about it in a lot of these you know, episodes, but the emphasis is just that, like stay calm and validate their big feelings. And I applaud that. I think where people are feeling badly about themselves, because it's impossible to do constantly, right? So then you end up in this space of like, I'm never going to be a, a gentle parent. I'm never going to be a good enough parent because I can't validate all of their big feelings and I can't just stay calm all of the time. Right. And so I just wanted to just share that note about the gentle parenting movement, that there is a lot of, there's a great value in it, but also it's impossible to do 24 seven. Listen, you you all can listen to whatever you want, but you know, (laughs) take it from me. Don't be a shithead. Don't get high and drunk around your kids. Give them a foundation, be stable, love them and hang out with them a little bit. All done. Like, like, I mean, come on. Like, I mean, it's, it's not that hard. If they if they strike out, try not to yell, what the fuck are you doing at them? Like, like I mean, like, like it's, I've seen people do it. What the fuck are you doing? Well, he's striking out because he's eight. Like, like that's what he's doing. Yeah. I watched a woman stand behind a batting cage one time and give a kid instruction during the pitch. <laughs> As a mom. She's like, get your leg down. Do this. I'm like, oh, my God. He's trying to hit a baseball. She's four feet behind him, yelling through the umpire and the catcher into this kid's ear while he's hitting. Do you want to guess if the kid was any good at baseball? He was not. And so, like, and by the way, and he appeared to hate his mother. And I was like, what? And by the way, here's the last part of it, Erica, that never made sense to me. They were little tiny people, the mom and the dad. And I thought... Uh, what do you think this kid's going to grow up to be six, five? Like just, he's not doing this in college. Just let him go hit the stupid baseball and have fun. And it'll do it for a couple of years and he'll go find something else. And he'll have a happy memory of you and them and being here. And he won't remember that he struck out. They were trying to turn him into, they were trying to turn him into Derek Jeter when he was six. Mm-hmm. I, I, I saw the kid recently. He's three feet tall. Like, like, I mean, it's just, it, it was never going to mm-hmm. happen. They, they created all that bad feeling around that kid for no reason. Like, listen, whoever, I don't know what they did to Bryce Harper when they were raising him, but all right, God bless. Okay. Cause that guy's a monster and he can hit a baseball. And if he's a little sad in his <laughs> personal life, I'm okay with it. Cause it makes TV better. Okay. But, but you know what I mean? Like, it's not everybody. You just, it's such a, 
you're going to disagree with me. But is this not relatively simple at its core? I know it's not because of the way you were raised and everything that happened to you and finances and all the other. I know it becomes muddy, but at its core, just love people, show them consistency, be there for them. There's not much more to it than that, is there? I think, yes, it's simple in definition and can get messy in implementation. And then in that messiness, where do you go in your mind? Can you offer that compassion to yourself and to your child? Right. I think that's, that's where I would land. Yeah. And you know where the, the, the major problem here is, is that our initial attraction when we're in our breeding ages is visual and pheromones and stuff like that. Like nobody stops to talk and say, I wonder if me and her might get along <laughs> or, or if, if we have like, you know, backgrounds that will support each other and create a, like, it's not how we do it. We go, man, her hair is really pretty. <laughs> that guy's shoulders are amazing. All right, let's go. <laughs> anyway, don't, don't date in a bar. That might give you a better chance to, <laughs> I don't know what to say. Oh All right. Gosh. Well, Erica, as always, I'm completely dismayed at the end of our conversation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. I, I appreciate that. I kept you long. I really do appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. Thanks. A huge thanks to a longtime sponsor, Touched by Type 1. Please check them out on Facebook, Instagram, and at touchedbytype1.org. If you're looking to support an organization that's supporting people with type 1 diabetes, check out Touched by Type 1. This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by the Dexcom G7, made for all types of diabetes. Dexcom G7 can be used to manage type 1, type 2, and gestational diabetes. You're going to see the speed, direction, and number of your blood sugar right on your receiver or smartphone device. Dexcom.com slash juicebox. If you're looking for community around type 1 diabetes, check out the Juicebox Podcast private Facebook group, Juicebox Podcast, Type 1 Diabetes. But everybody is welcome. Type 1, Type 2, Gestational, Loved ones, it doesn't matter to me. If you're impacted by diabetes and you're looking for support, comfort, or community, check out Juicebox Podcast, Type 1 Diabetes on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast.